First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 28? Acts 28. As I shared last week, we started uh, this verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts uh, last year in 2020, the Sunday after Easter Sunday. We were still at that time meeting online uh, due to the pandemic. It's hard to believe that it has been uh, that long, but uh, here we come a year and a half later to our very last day in the book of Acts, at least for now. And uh, today we're looking at the last two verses in this book together. The Apostle Paul has made it to Rome, uh, just like God promised. He's in Roman custody. He's awaiting his trial before Caesar. And let's hear what it says in verses 30 through 31 of Acts 28. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching and teaching the kingdom of God teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Father, we pray now as we study your word together that your Holy Spirit would be with us, your Spirit would speak to us, that your Spirit would transform us, that we might trust more in Christ, that we might follow him. In all our ways. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure that uh, many of you have had uh, the experience of uh, maybe watching a show or watching a movie and it comes to the end and it ends and the credits start to roll and you just feel like there has to be something more. I just don't feel like this has really ended. I know um, there's a show that uh, we've been watching called The Mysterious Benedict Society. It's, it's kind of like that. Every, every episode kind of ends that way. You just kind of feel like, you know, there, there's something more. And of course, that's on purpose a lot of times, right? That's a cliffhanger, kind of gets you uh, ready for the next one to come out. A lot of the Marvel movies are that way, right? They end that way so that you'll want to watch the next one. And I think that as we have come to the end of this book of Acts, of course, we know that God's word is perfect, that it is inerrant, that we've received from the Lord exactly to the word and to the letter what he has for us. And yet with that said, just as, as we read the end of the book of Acts, we feel like it isn't finished. Uh, we, we've been following the Apostle Paul now for more than half of the book of Acts. We knew that he was headed to Rome, that he was going to stand trial before Caesar, and yet the book ends and that trial has not happened yet. It, it just ends with him in custody and house arrest for two years, and we want to know what happens next, right? We're saying to Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tell us more, tell us what happened. Did he ever go to trial? How did that trial turn out? And Luke doesn't tell us, and There are different theories as to why that's the case, why the book of Acts ends the way that it does. Uh, I won't walk through all of those, but uh, just to say, I I believe the simplest explanation uh, for why Luke ends this book where he does uh, is that he simply put down his pen uh, at this particular point in time and he wrote everything that he knew at this point in time. Uh, That Luke didn't tell us what happened next because he didn't know what happened next because it hadn't happened yet. Uh, Acts 28 is the end of Luke's book of Acts, this inspired story of the early church. But we need to realize that Acts 28 is not the end 
of the Apostle Paul's story. It's not the end of Paul's story. In fact, where Acts ends is what most scholars would call Paul's first Roman imprisonment. And when you hear first Roman imprisonment, it kind of implies that there was a second uh, Roman imprisonment, and most believe that there was. I'll get to that in just a minute. But during these two years of this first imprisonment under house arrest, he was not idle. Uh, We're going to talk about that today. He was sharing the gospel with everyone who came to him. He also, during this time, wrote through the inspiration of the Spirit four of the letters that we have in our New Testament. We call them his prison epistles, because of course he wrote them in prison. Those letters are Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. The tradition of the early church fathers, and I believe there is evidence for this in some of Paul's letters as well, is that after this two-year period under house arrest, that Paul was released for a season of ministry. Uh, We don't know why he was released. Perhaps uh, his accusers uh, never made their way to Rome. Perhaps uh, the emperor at that time did not feel that the charges against Paul were sufficient and they simply let him go. Uh, But we cannot uh, be sure all that he did during this time of ministry. Some believe that perhaps uh, Paul was uh, able to fulfill his wish of taking the gospel to Spain in the West. He had written to the Romans about his desire uh, to do ministry there in Spain. Perhaps he got that opportunity. During this period of time between his two imprisonments is when Paul wrote two of his pastoral epistles. That's when he wrote the letters we call First Timothy and Titus. And then sometime after that season of ministry, Paul was recaptured and endured what we call his second Roman imprisonment. Unlike his first imprisonment, he was not under house arrest this time. His conditions were very different. He describes that uh, in his writing. He had uh, no freedom at this point at all, and his prospects for being released were not nearly as good. He did not believe that he would be released as he did the first time. In fact, he wrote to Timothy in his last letter, which he wrote during that second imprisonment, the letter of 2 Timothy. In the last chapter of that letter, he wrote these words knowing that the end of his race was getting close. These are words we heard in the video clip just a few moments ago. He said this to Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And after penning those beautiful and moving words, sometime after that, Church tradition tells us that the Apostle Paul was martyred for the gospel. This happened under the increasingly crazed Emperor Nero, who was ramping up his persecutions against Christians, particularly in Rome. While many Jewish Christians, including the Apostle Peter, were killed by crucifixion, church tradition tells us that Paul, being a Roman citizen, was spared that kind of death, that his execution came by beheading just outside of Rome on a road called the Ostian Way. 
And so Acts 28 is not the end of Paul's story, but we need to remember that the book of Acts is actually not intended to be a comprehensive biography of the Apostle Paul. Now, the second half of the book has been about Paul. He's certainly one of the major characters, but the story of Acts isn't just about Paul. The story of Acts is a story of the spread of the gospel message of Jesus. It's a story of the growth of the early church that started with just 120 believers and then spread all over the world. And, and, and when we remember that that is what the book of Acts is actually about, I, I think we begin to see that the way Luke ends the book of Acts is actually the perfect open-ended conclusion. Because Acts 28 not only is not the end of Paul's story, it's also not the end of the church's story. Luke's task was writing the story of the church, the history of the church. He had to leave it open-ended because the story of the church had not all been written yet. In fact, the story of the church is still being written right now. I love how John Stott put it. He said, quote, the acts of the apostles have long ago finished, but the acts of the followers of Jesus will continue until the end of the world and their words will spread to the ends of the earth. And here's the truth, church, and I think this is so exciting to think about. Acts has 28 chapters in it and then the story ends right there. But the story really goes on because the reality is we are writing Acts 29 right now. That's why I've titled the message today, Acts 29, because that is what's being written. If Acts 1 through 28 is the story of the church in the first century, Acts 29 is a good way to think about what's been happening in the 2,000 year history since. The gospel has continued to go out. To every tribe, to every tongue, the church continues to grow. The kingdom is on the move. Even here in Melbourne, Florida, in the United States in 2021, the story is still being written. And we have been invited, church, along with every, every believer of the big C church all over the world, we have been invited to help write Acts 29 together. And we're writing it right now. How exciting is that to think about? And as we do that, as we carry out that calling, I believe that there are several things we can learn from how Paul spent these two years in house arrest in Rome. There's several things to learn from these two verses at the end of the book of Acts. Uh, The first thing I want to point out doesn't explicitly come from these two verses, but it's really just Paul's mindset about life and death that he had during these two years and that he had after that time as well. And so as we help write Acts 29 together, church, let's be willing like Paul to suffer for Christ because we believe that he is worth it all. You know, by the time Paul finished this two years, in house arrest, he had now been in custody for somewhere between four and five years. But if we backtrack a little bit, he had been here in house arrest for two years. Prior to that, you remember he took that sea voyage uh, that took several months. He ended up spending three months of it shipwrecked on an island waiting to continue the travel. Before that, he had been more than two years under arrest in Caesarea. So you add it all up together somewhere, almost five years probably, He was in Roman custody by this time. And if you remember before all of that, when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, people kept warning Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, 
you're going to be arrested. There was a prophet named Agabus that took a belt and tied it around his hands and said, the man who owns this belt is about to be arrested. And Paul knew that. He knew that that was coming for him, but he also knew that that was the path that God had for him. And so he continued in obedience to the Lord. This is what he said in Acts 21, right after Agabus gave that prophecy. He said, now when he heard these things, both we, Luke says, those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, Paul was willing to do what we find him doing in these last two verses of the book of Acts. He was willing to be bound. He was willing, in fact, to do what we find him doing after that when he was martyred. He was willing to suffer for Christ because he knew Jesus Christ is worth it all. Church, as persecution against Christians ramps up in the days ahead, and I believe that it will, as it begins to cost us more and more to bear the name of Christ, let's be willing to do what Paul did. Let's be willing to suffer for his name. Let's be willing to do what the other apostles did. Let's be willing to do what our brothers and sisters have been doing all over the world and are doing right now for the name of Christ. The story of the church in Acts 1 through 28 involved a lot of suffering and a lot of persecution and martyrdom. Let's not think that Acts 29 is going to be any different. It will include suffering. It will include persecution. It will include martyrdom for some. Let's be willing to suffer for the name of Christ. Here's something else we can learn from Paul in these last two verses of Acts. As we write Acts 29 together, let's love and receive everyone who comes to us. Look at verse 30 again with me. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. The first part of that verse says he lived in his own rented house. Some translation says he lived at his own expense. In other words, even though he was given the luxury, if you will, of living in rented accommodations, he had to come up with a rent. Um, Now, you know, if COVID-19 had been going on, he could have gotten out of that, right? There would have been a, a moratorium on evictions, right? But that wasn't happening. He didn't get any child tax credits either, right? No help from there. Now, some people believe some of his Christian friends helped him provided for him, supported him as a missionary, much as we do with missionaries today. I think that's likely. Some people say perhaps he took back up his tent-making ministry to help provide his way. That's possible, although I think it would have been difficult with one of his wrists chained to a Roman guard 24-7 to to do that work. But in, in any event, he had this opportunity in this rented quarters to share with folks. But I love what it says there at the latter part of that verse. He received all who came to him. He he wasn't free to move about the way he wanted to, but others were free to come to him and come to him they did. Uh, I love how one person put it. They said that Paul's little rented house there in Rome became the worldwide headquarters for evangelism. As people came to visit him, by this point, people knew about him. People had read his letters. I imagine all kinds of people came. I imagine many Christians came to meet with the apostle, to be discipled by him, to hear the truth, to grow in their faith, 
I imagine others came, seekers, non-Christians who were curious about the Lord, those who were Gentiles, those who were Jewish, they came and they met with him. And we know that some of them who came and visited with Paul trusted in Christ and became followers of Christ. And we know that because of some of the hints Paul gives us about that in his letters, in his letter to the Philippians, which he wrote during this two-year period. He said this in chapter four, when he was wrapping up the letter, he said, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Did you catch that? Saints in Caesar's household. Now, how did that happen? And we're not just talking about those who are a part of Caesar's immediate family. When it says his household, it really means all government officials, people who were working in in governmental positions. It would have even included the soldiers who were a part of the Praetorium Guard who were shackled his wrist on a rotation every four hours. They were a part of Caesar's wider household as well. Perhaps some of them were already Christians by the time Paul came to Rome. But I imagine that there were some more who came to know Christ because they were chained to his wrist or because they came to visit him during that two-year period. Paul shared with people in Caesar's household with government workers, but we know from one of his other letters, he also shared with uh, someone else, a man who was a runaway slave. And he wrote to Philemon about this man. This is what it says in Philemon. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. What does that mean? It means that he led Onesimus to Christ during this two-year period while he was in chains. And then he says this, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You know, I think it is so neat when we read here in Acts 28 about how Paul received everyone who came to him, that we have evidence in his letters that when it says he received everyone who came to him, it included people at the top rung of the social ladder, and it also included people on the absolute bottom rung of the social ladder, like a runaway slave, like Onesimus, and it included everybody in between. He received all who came to him. I know that sometimes churches almost have like a profile of, you know, the kind of person that they're trying to reach. You know, we want to reach this particular uh, person and, you know, they're 37 and a half years old and they're an engineer and they work at Harris and, you know, whatever the profile, this is, this is who we're trying to reach. But, but I want you to know, church, we don't have a profile uh, on the kind of person that we're trying to reach. We don't have a, a Melbourne Matt or a Melbourne Molly that we're trying to reach because the reality is God has told us to receive all people to welcome all people, to love all people. And when I say that, I don't misunderstand me. When I talk about loving and welcoming all people, I don't mean by that that we're gonna condone sin, that we're gonna soft pedal the gospel. We're gonna avoid talking about subjects that make people uncomfortable in their lifestyle. I'm not talking about any of that. But what I mean is like Jesus did, we're gonna love people where they are because we believe that the power of the gospel has the power to change any person who walks through these doors. Just as it had the power to change my life and your life, it has the power to change theirs. I pray that our church would be as open to people as Paul's living room was during these two years. 
that we would be open to people of all ages, of all races, of all economic means, of all different spiritual stages. This would be a place where people can come, hear about the Lord, ask questions and have the freedom to do that, where they can feel safe to do that, a place where they can be saved, a place where they can grow in their faith, a place where they can be equipped to be a disciple maker themselves. May it be said of First Baptist Melbourne that like Paul, we will receive everyone who comes to us. And by the way, since we aren't confined to our houses the way Paul was, may we also not be a church that just waits for people to come to us, but may we be a church that takes the gospel to them. In verse 31, we see another way we want to be like Paul as we keep writing Acts 29 together. Let's always talk about the kingdom and about the king. Look with me at verse 31. This is what Paul said to all of those people that he welcomed into his living room. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now, a lot of hay has been made about those two words, preaching and teaching, in that verse. A big distinction has been drawn between those two words. I really don't think Luke intends a big distinction there. I think when Paul preached, he also did a lot of teaching. And when he taught, he also did a lot of preaching and called people to to respond in faith to Christ. I don't think the emphasis is as much on the way Paul said what he did as on what Paul said. And the message that he communicated in this verse, he he talked with people about the kingdom of God and the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he talked about the kingdom and he talked about the king. He shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus with everyone who sat down in front of them. He shared with them about how Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He shared with them about how he was born as a baby in Bethlehem how he grew up and lived a perfect, sinless life, how he went to the cross to die for all of our sins, how he rose again on the third day. He shared with them how if they would personally respond to what Jesus did by faith and repentance, that they could be saved, they could be a part of the family of God. They can live in the kingdom both now as the Lord rules and reigns in our hearts and forever when his kingdom comes. This is what he shared. And you know, when he got done sharing that with one person and they got up and left the room and another person came in, don't you think he probably shared it all over again? He was preaching and teaching the kingdom of God and he did not stop. And church, if we're going to be used as a church to help write Acts 29, we cannot stop preaching and teaching about the kingdom and the king. There there is no other message that we have to share. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. And so let's keep on talking about him and let's not get distracted by all the things that are going on in our culture around us. I know that there are tensions. There are tensions everywhere, many of them intentionally caused. Tensions about race, tensions about politics, tensions about economics and finances, tensions about the health crisis that we're going through, tensions about world events. And if all we do as believers is just sit in front of the TV and watch the news and we do more watching the news than we do reading our Bibles, there's a possibility that when someone comes into our house, when someone comes into our living room and sits across from us, they're going to hear more about current events than they're going to hear about Christ. And they're going to hear fear and worry and anxiety instead of faith and hope and love. 
Let's not get distracted. Continue to teach and preach the message of Christ. Let's also not be distracted, church, even by the good things that God is doing. We celebrate those, we praise him for those, but let's not be distracted. Let's not be distracted even by things like building a new worship center and planting churches. I shared this with you before, but you know, part of the reason why I believe God led me to preach through the book of Acts for the last year and a half is that I believe that during this time, and it's an exciting time, but during this time as we see this building go up, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual danger for us. There's a spiritual temptation for us to get so focused on that, so focused on brick and mortar and what's happening outside the walls that we forget that we are called to still be on mission right now. That there are lost people around us right now who need to hear about the Lord Jesus. Let's not be distracted. Let's always be a church that does what Paul did for these two years. To preach and teach about the king and the kingdom. There's one more thing I see in these last two verses of Paul's ministry that needs to mark our ministry as well. And so as we write Acts 29 together, number four, let's move forward on mission with a holy confidence. Look with me again, the last verse of Acts 28. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this last phrase, with all confidence, no one forbidding him. That word confidence can also be translated boldness. And that's a word and that's a concept that has shown up all the way through our study of Acts. You might remember back in Acts chapter 4, right after they arrested Peter and John, they threatened them, don't talk anymore about Jesus to anybody. And they said, I'm not going to do that. We need to obey God rather than you. And then they went back and they met with the church and they had a prayer meeting. And guess what they prayed about? For more boldness. That they would go out and do even more of what just got them arrested. That they would be even more bold to tell people about Jesus. Paul himself, in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, prayed, asked a prayer request. He said, would you pray for me that I would be bold? Would you pray for me that I would take advantage of the opportunities that I have been given to speak about Christ? And as we've read this story of Paul in this last half of the book of Acts, I think you would agree, my man, if anything, he was bold, wasn't he? He was bold. He did not care if he was talking to a king, if he was talking to a governor, if he was talking to an angry mob that just got done beating him up or stoning him. He didn't care if he was on a ship in the middle of a storm about to be shipwrecked. I mean, my man was bold. He said what the Lord put on his heart to say. He spoke with boldness, with confidence. And the last phrase here says, no one forbidding him. That's one word in the Greek. It's the last Greek word in the book of Acts. And it literally means unhindered. Unhindered. What a great last word for the book of Acts. Unhindered. Without hindrance. Without obstacle. Paul may have been physically chained up, but the gospel wasn't. And we heard that verse earlier quoted on that video as well. He wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said this, For which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Isn't that awesome? I might be chained. God's word is not chained. It's, it's going forward with great power without hindrance. And we've talked throughout this study about how people are trying to hinder Christians from speaking out about their convictions. 
If you speak out about your convictions, particularly today in the area of sexuality, in the area of marriage, or any other number of issues, and you speak out with biblical convictions about those things, you are likely to face some consequences. You're likely to earn yourself some disapproval, some criticism, possibly even a demotion, possibly even the loss of your job. And seeing stories like that on the news increasingly can have a dampening effect on other believers who say, well, I don't want to have that happen to me. And so I don't want to speak out. I don't want to be bold, but we're called church to be bold for the gospel. No matter what comes, to speak the truth in love. But we can take heart as we move forward because this book ends with a sense of holy confidence. And as we think back to our whole study of the book of Acts, let me give you a few reasons why we can move forward on our mission with holy confidence. Here's the first reason, because the Spirit of God is uncontainable. The Spirit of God is uncontainable. You know, the name given to this book is Acts of the Apostles, but really none of the apostles are the main character of the book of Acts. Paul's not the main character. Peter's not the main character. None of them are the main character. The main character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus talked about that in Acts chapter one, right before his ascension into heaven. This is what he said to his disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. By the way, that verse is an outline of the entire book of Acts. They started in Jerusalem. They went to Judea, went to Samaria, went to the ends of the earth, but it was the Holy Spirit who did it all. It's the Holy Spirit who filled them, Holy Spirit who empowered them, Holy Spirit who guided them, who said, don't go here, go over here. It was the Holy Spirit who took the word that was being preached and opened the hearts of people to respond to it. All of it is the working of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened in Acts 1 through 28. Church, that's what's gonna happen in Acts 29. It's the working and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, but the Holy Spirit of God is uncontainable. He is all-powerful. Here's another reason we can have confidence, because the word of God is unstoppable. I know we believe that the, the word of God is perfect, that it is inerrant, and it is, but it is also living and active. The word of God is alive. And I love the way Luke writes the book of Acts because he writes it as if the word is is like a character. It's one of the characters. The the word of God is just like Paul and Peter. He's doing things. The word is is active through the power of the spirit. And and you see this over and over. You see it in Acts 6, 7. He says, then the word of God spread. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And then in Acts 12, right after he said that Herod died and got eaten by worms, he said this, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And then again in Acts 19, he said this, but the word of God grew and multiplied. If we'll continue to be a church that preaches the word of God, we'll continue to see the word of God do what the word of God does. Because God said, the word will not return to me void. It will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it forth. We just have to believe in the power of the spirit and the power of his word to keep changing hearts and keep changing families just like he did ours. So the word of God is unstoppable. The spirit of God is uncontainable. Also, Jesus told us that the church is unconquerable. 
The story of the book of Acts, again, it's the story of the early church. And think about how dramatic it is that the story of a church that started with just 120 people, that's much less than what we have in this room right now. Uh, It's like one section, right? 120 people. That's where the church started, meeting in the upper room. The Holy Spirit of God was given. By the end of the book of Acts, you have Paul stepping off a boat in a random city in Italy that he's never been to before, and Christians greet him. Because in 30 years, the gospel has spread all over the known world. And now there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of believers in 30 years time. And that has continued throughout the 2000 year history of the church. And that's what Jesus said would happen in Matthew 16. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Why is the church unconquerable? Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Because Jesus Christ is building his church and he's building it all over the world. And he said the gates of hell themselves will not prevail. It doesn't matter how bleak things may seem. At any point in time, the church of Jesus Christ is unconquerable. And we can have a holy confidence also. Lastly, because of this, the end of the story is unalterable. We are not left in doubt about where all of this is heading. We know the end of the story. In fact, part of the end of the story was told to us way back in Acts chapter 1. You remember right after Jesus ascended, the disciples were standing there <coughs> and they're, they're looking up into the heavens and they're thinking, what, what just happened, Joe? Did you, did you see that? What are we supposed to do now? And and right then, suddenly it says, two angels appeared to them and said this to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back, church. He's coming back and he's gonna come back the same way that he left. No man knows the day, no man knows the hour, but I believe he can come back any day, don't you? It's not gonna be long and then the trumpet will sound. And until it does, church, let's keep our hand to the plow. Let's keep doing what he called us to do. When he returns, may he find First Baptist Melbourne to be a church that is loving him and loving people and preaching and teaching the word of God and making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. I remember when I was a kid, on one of our vacations, we went to South Carolina and we stopped off in the Charleston area in the harbor there and uh, we visited a uh, aircraft carrier that is there, uh, the USS Yorktown. How many of y'all have ever visited there to the USS Yorktown? It's amazing to be able just to go there and, and to see it, especially to walk out on the flight deck just to see how massive it is and think about the planes that went and took off from their missions from there. It was originally commissioned during World War II. And the USS Yorktown saw action in the Pacific theater of World War II, several missions. It was then modernized and it was used even in the Korean War. It was used in the Vietnam War as well. And then after that, it kind of slowed down a little bit. They used it kind of almost as a prop in a, in a movie about Pearl Harbor. And then in 1970, it was decommissioned. And in 1975... Uh, It was docked there where it is and became a National Historic Landmark. You can see a picture of it here. 
there in South Carolina, people can go and walk out and you see all the people up on the deck uh, walking around and it's just beautiful to, to see it even now. And yet, in a way, it's also kind of sad though as you see it, right? Because you think about that ship during its glory days and that ship was going places, right? And you think about back in World War II, I mean, that ship literally was on a mission that helped save the world. Now, it just sits there. Now it's no longer part of a movement. It's just a monument. And sadly, there are many local churches who are about just like that. They had some some glory days somewhere in the rearview mirror where they were a part of the gospel movement where they were sharing about Jesus, where they were reaching the lost, uh, people were being saved, people were being sent out into missions and ministry work, good things were happening, but somewhere along the way, they forgot their, their purpose. Somewhere along the way, they stopped really preaching and teaching the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they, they kept doing some things, they kept up appearances. People still come in and kind of walk around inside. They still sit down on Sundays. They still hear a talk. They still go home. But they haven't been a part of the mission for years. People haven't been baptized for years and years at church. They were on mission for their king. But now they're just docked in the harbor. They were a part of a movement. But now they're a monument. Oh, church, I do not want that to be the future of First Baptist Melbourne. Lord, help us not to sit idle because you're coming quickly. Lord, help us to stay in the battle, to stay in the war, to keep preaching, to keep discipling, to keep sharing, to keep inviting, to keep loving. And by your grace, help us, Lord, to stay on mission for King Jesus until King Jesus comes back. The invitation today as we come to the end of the book of Acts is an invitation to pray uh, and just to pray for our church. As we kind of close the book on Acts, at least for right now, and we move into some other places in God's word, I, I just don't want us to forget what we've studied. I want the things that we've studied to be in our hearts. And so I want to ask you right now, we're just putting up some of the things we talked about, the the truths that came out of God's word that we've seen today. I just want to ask each of you just to take a minute or two and and pray for your church. Pray for this body, this family of believers, and pray these specific things. Pray that we would be an Acts 29 kind of church, that we we would be used by God, by his grace, to be a part of writing the story of what he's doing in the world. Pray that we'd be willing to suffer for Christ. Pray that we would love and receive anyone and everyone Pray that we'd always be talking about the kingdom, always be talking about the king and pray that we'd move forward on mission with a holy confidence in our king. Take a minute or two, pray for these things, pray for our church and we'll worship together.